Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 259 for Monday, August 21st, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is a man you can trust with a hedge trimmer. It's Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. And if you would like to hear more about cutting the court, you know, going full-time streaming, maybe taking it a little bit too far, then you should listen to The Render Distance uh, as Johnny fill us in about his adventures in uh, cutting cables this weekend. Uh, thankfully, everything is back to normal and we can record this show. If you'd like to hear that, then you can become a member at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. You get access to the render distance, which is the extended version of the podcast we record every single week. You get access to the live recording, which happens in our discord every single week. Things like the chunk mail dispenser are thanks to our patrons. That's going to be today. The monthly Minecraft hangout, which is now available for patrons. Links are in our discord as well as on the Patreon page for Patreon members. And the quarterly hangout, which is going to be coming up. We talked about it last week because of hedge trimming. We had to postpone. And after looking at some changes to the way that our data is collected for the podcast over Q2, we're actually just going to move the next quarterly hangout to Q3. So it's going to happen around the first or second week of October. And we'll be focusing on Q3 data because the Q2 data just doesn't seem to be as complete as it had been in the past. So we thought it was just better to move that on down the line. With regards to some scheduling changes, uh, I'll defer to Johnny because you have got a vacation coming up. Yes, um, I am once again cutting myself off from the internet, but that's only because I'm going to be traveling in France uh, with some family. We're going on a short cycling trip in the south of France, uh, and I'm going to be driving everybody down there. So I'm going to be absent for not next Monday's show, but the Monday after, the 4th of September show, I will be absent. But I should be here on the 28th, uh, sort of working around our guests, settling in and getting rid of jet lag at that point, since they'll be arriving that weekend. Um, but yeah, you should hear me next week. But uh, Joel might have to find a special guest to join us for the September 4th show where I'll be away. I have some ideas. Uh -huh. I have some ideas. People <laughs> people may be familiar. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Cool. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, all depends on who is available, of course, because I believe it's a holiday weekend. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for both Canada and the U.S. So ah, we'll makes see. sense. I, yeah, I gotta check. I gotta check my calendar. It's it's so hard as a as a self employed person remembering when the bank holidays are. Yeah, I, and, I, re I really don't. Given that the majority of our guests are likely to be in a similar position, you've either got to find somebody who doesn't care for bank holidays and is going to work through them regardless, or uh, somebody who's going to consider being on a podcast as not being work. Which I don't know. Some people are. Some people like to recreationally podcast. Yeah, I used to. It was that was the thing that I did until I turned it into a job. It's a bad habit I have with all of my hobbies. Yeah, it's same. like, hey, <laughs> this is really fun. I should try to make money with this. And then you're like, this is great. I love my job. And he's like, but I have no hobbies anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my, you know? my, my hobbies are uh, currently gardening and you can see how well that's going for me. Um, <laughs> Don't but, quit your day job. No, absolutely. But uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I try not to. Sometimes the day job quits me by accident. But um, despite yeah. that, I was able to play some Minecraft this week. I got some stuff done earlier in the week and then even even after uh, my internet cable was severed by a hedge trimmer incident, I did get some recording done. And then thankfully by the uh, weekend it was restored, I've been able to do some more since then. So I have started raiding some of the more advanced structures in the Minecraft survival guide world. I went to an ocean monument first, mostly with the interest of filling out my storage system where I'd set up a bunch of categories for all the different blocks and I decided I'm probably going to need bulk storage for Prismarine, which means acquiring some Prismarine so I can put it in the item filters to say make sure all of the Prismarine bricks and dark Prismarine go in these hoppers. So 
I uh, went and just did a basic ocean monument raid, water breathing and night vision potions, got myself a tied armor trim from Elder Guardians, which is something that only occurred to me while I was there, was that I was potentially going to get my hands on one of those. Um, and then, yeah, got a, a decent amount of blocks from the monument. I don't have no designs on a guardian farm quite yet, but I'm looking forward to at least having the prismarine block palette as an option, and once I decide I need to acquire more of it, then maybe I'll look into... Uh, getting a, a guardian farm set up at that monument um the other place i have been is a piglin bastion i was lucky enough whilst riding a strider around in my first exploration of the lava lakes of the nether to stumble upon a treasure room bastion as the first one i found so instantly was able to get in there dispose of all of the piglin brutes with lava buckets and then find the netherite upgrade smithing template so i'm now kind of keyed into that upgrade process that was new for this update and there was a bit of ancient debris and netherite ingot in the in the chests and a little bit of diamond equipment as well so i came away from that with a lot of good stuff managed to get away scot-free and um now i'm starting digging for ancient debris upgrading some tools and armor to netherite which is uh, the next subject of a video that's going to come out this week so yeah I i'm starting to make some progress towards the end of the tech tree and material abundance is kind of the next thing on the on the schedule really so you're gonna get into some some farms like some not AF, do you do i don't know if you do much afk farming on the survival guide or do you think about mostly like slightly more traditional farms i try to avoid afk farms where possible mainly because it's a single player world and you can leave some farms going on multiplayer servers or have other people afk at them but more often than not I need to free up resources on my PC so that I can do some video editing. I don't want to have Minecraft right. running in the background all the time. There are ways you can do it, I understand, and the PC is decently powerful, but I would also just prefer all of the rendering resources to go towards getting this video out or whatever. So, yeah, I, I have yet to really establish any farms that I'm not just going to be around generally when I'm at my starter house. Like, if I... When I set up my sugarcane farm, it's right next door. It's just kind of built into a hillside nearby. If I set up a mob farm, I'm probably not going to build it above my spawn area, but then I want to build it somewhere that's practical in terms of location, you know, somewhere that doesn't have all of these high mountains around that are still going to spawn stuff even if I build it up in the sky. We'll probably go to an ocean biome or somewhere like that. Um, so yeah, there's there's a few considerations to be had there, but Typically, I'm going to go for a farm that allows me to get a lot of resources while I'm still online and playing, and I don't really like to just leave the game to play itself in the background. Um, obviously, I've got an iron farm in mind and you know other, other bits and pieces like that, but the, uh, the whole purpose right now, like the, the main thing I'm working on is making sure that my storage system has all of the blocks that it's going to be sorting so that the next step in the quality of life for this world is being able to throw everything in my inventory into the chest at the beginning of the storage system have it make its way round and nice. um yeah sort everything automatically instead of thinking well no this this and this hopper don't have anything in yet so all of the items are just going to randomly start assigning themselves to hoppers further in the system I have, of course, made the uh, grave error of deciding that I want to store all of the precious blocks 
in one wing of the storage system, which includes netherite blocks. <laughs> uh, so I'm probably going to have to do a lot more digging in the nether if I want to assemble one of those for the storage filter and another one to go in the floor to indicate this is what that chest holds. And then we start working on getting a chest of netherite blocks, probably. Um, but then stuff like, yeah, slime and honey blocks and things like that are also going to be in popular demand later in the series that I don't have farms set up for yet. The other thing I've been doing with the storage system is working on decoration. And I've settled on a somewhat unconventional color palette for it because previously I'm used to doing this wood gradient where I go through dark oak, spruce, oak, birch, that kind of like, you know, neutral wood color. And... I wanted to incorporate cherry wood somehow because I have a cherry grove quite close by and I settled on the idea of maybe I use mangrove and crimson wood in there but it all seemed very bright for the storage system so instead what I came up with was uh, the Neapolitan ice cream trio which is like strawberry vanilla chocolate um, so I, I put a cherry wood stripe down the center and then either side of that is stripped birch and either side of that is stripped dark oak. So all of the stripped logs side by side, they have that very kind of ice cream sandwich vibe to them, which I really like. Some of those farms can be made and hidden quite easily. Modern iron farms, slime farms, uh, even frog light. Well, frog light farms would be in the nether, but like you can do those kind of farms and hide them in other aesthetic builds. Yeah. I think the only thing that's really tough to do well, I guess you could put it in like a hot air balloon or something like that. But like mob farms, like this traditional kind of like dark room tower mob farm yes. for skeletons and spiders and things. Those tend to be really large and ugly and kind of hard to hide. But uh, even a tree farm, like depending on whether you're doing any kind of automatic tree farming or whether you want to do some some like manual, just like plant orchards kind of thing. If those are things that are nearby where you're playing, then those can all grow up while you're doing other things, you know, while you're working on the storage system and organizing stuff. And that kind of stuff is always nice. I, I like the idea of having those kind of like efficient farms kind of within render distance. We've done that with Dartmouth Meadows where the slime farm is way at the bottom of the world, but it, it pumps the slime up to a collection system that's convenient for everyone next to the tree farm. Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff is always really fun to to mess with. Uh, I'm trying to think about the only other thing that I've got that's automatic around Dartmouth Meadows. I guess the chicken cooker, the old traditional yeah. chicken cooker. Mm -hmm. um, what else we've got? Uh, oh, sugarcane, like all that kind of stuff. But you've already got a sugarcane farm. Like you've got that, the some of the basics for farming and, and early game stuff you've got sorted already yeah yeah the main reason i'm hesitant to do any decoration with anything mob spawning based is that it like reduces the rates because if you build something around it you end up with other blocks in the area that the game tries to spawn mobs on and realizes it can't right. and that slows some stuff down um so that yeah there's there's all sorts of like considerations there but i'm not really looking to optimize too much so we'll see if i end up doing more decorative stuff with those or not in the meantime obviously anything crop based anything that doesn't rely on mob spawning or mob spawning rules that can be effectively forced like iron golem spawning for example is like a very specific mechanic it's not natural spawning in quite the same sense as hostile mobs are so yeah we can we can tinker with with that kind of stuff um ultimately i think the only thing i'd need a hostile mob farm for at this point would be gunpowder maybe string but i'm pretty sure i could locate a spider farm and i've had a skeleton spawner since the early stages of the world so i have tons of bone blocks that was my xp farm for a really long time so yeah like we, we'll we'll see where i end up going next in terms of farms and i'm just trying to do what's practical for the world whilst taking into account that not everybody is playing along in the same seed with me 
Um, but yeah, that, that's sort of what I've been up to lately. Uh, the, the storage system is coming along pretty well. I think the next things I'm targeting are probably going to be um, getting a little bit more netherite equipment together and then maybe looking at raiding an ancient city or maybe going to the end. I'm having a bit of a tough time deciding which one to do first, which one feels like you know is it is it the ancient city because it's another thing i can do in the overworld or do we want to go to the end and talk about elytra and maybe even get elytra as a potential escape mechanism from the warden um or do we want to go down there and brave an ancient city first i'm kind of on the fence about that one yeah i don't know where that lies in my perceived tier of like difficulty mm -hmm. and and progression i feel like the the ancient city would be harder than the end yeah, the end is not necessarily difficult. It's just going through the process of looking for your first end city and that kind of thing, right? Mm. Um, whereas ancient cities, I'm fairly certain I know where the deep dark is in this world now, and I have a lot of mountainous terrain near my spawn points, so it's it should be that there's an ancient city somewhere under there. But um, yeah, like there's there's a lot still to do. It feels like I'm really just getting started, even though I'm you know a few months and and. 40 plus episodes in at this stage it feels like the wheels are turning on this world which is a good thing to feel i would say that's that's a good feeling for me too is was when i have I'm, I'm at that stage where like there are lots of things on the to-do list and really it's just a matter of picking like which one is your current favorite where you know there's a certain a number of things you feel like you have to do in a new minecraft world even though I know I haven't started many new Minecraft worlds, I, I feel like there's a things that you just kind of gun for because you just want the quality of life or you want that kind of progression for survival or protection or just so you're not dying all the time, like that kind of thing. Or you just, you hate scrounging for food. So like, you know, priority one, automatic food somewhere, somehow, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I feel like when you reach that point where you're like, okay, now I get to bring out the big guns. It's a combination of like flexing your Minecraft knowledge but then also like giving you that freedom of we're no longer on just one tutorial track for this the survival guide like yeah, we can yeah. go down any of these roads and it's going to be mean that you're hopefully going to find something of interest to most players as opposed to like everybody has seen this probably before unless they're brand new to the game and i think that that's where i think and i don't know you might be able to, to fill me in I feel like your audience might broaden a bit as you get to this stage where early game, it's probably going to be a lot of new Minecraft players and people that are watching because they're fans of yours, but also because they're trying to learn. Um, but then as you get into broader end game stuff, it becomes a little bit more of a let's play and people are like, oh yeah, I wonder how Pixel Riffs handles it when he goes to a guardian farm or goes to the end or handles an ancient city, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I've definitely, because of the fact that I've, I've amassed an audience over time, I'm feeling like some people are going to find the early stages of this kind of rote at this point like if if not because they've been playing minecraft for the longest time i do get comments from people saying like i still enjoy this series but i know everything you're talking about right now and i said yeah well like we're still in like effectively the mid game at this point and uh so yeah it's it's uh definitely at the point where i'm i'm looking forward to reaching people with newer knowledge and and you know th there's occasional peripheral things like sniffers that there isn't really much to say about them they're great like I've, I've enjoyed having them around but i can kind of leave them alone after one episode but it's the concepts that have 
domino effects on what you do later in the game that I'm really looking forward to getting to. So we'll uh, hopefully get there. Having mined all of the iron for my storage system hoppers out of a huge vein of iron, I'm really looking forward to having an iron farm <laughs> just so I can nice. re recoup yeah. my investment a little bit and, and have some workable iron ingots. And also so that I can leave a lot of the other uh, the iron that I'm pulling out of the ground as raw iron and raw iron blocks if I want to use those for, for other things. So there's there's aesthetic kind of checklists going off in the background as well as all of the, the technical stuff. Um, but enough about me. What's, uh, what's new on the Citadel this week? So I spent the week up on the ramparts of the towers and the walls of the West Hill Keep, adding lighting and details. I've done this around the curtain wall in a number of places and so it was time to add these details to the keep and i opted for the soul lanterns they are a lot more aesthetically pleasing they are softer on the eye from a distance they don't stand out like a lighthouse and i tried to take some shots with shaders at nighttime but they didn't quite turn out as well as i thought they were going to it looks better in game without the shaders on in terms of how, like how they light things up and how subtle they are uh, but a lot of it is just, you know, taking the trusty spruce trapdoor, laying around like stairs or things that you would imagine people in this medieval town would add to the top of a stone tower to make it functional, like steps up to the edge of the rampart so that you can see over railings so you don't fall down the stairwell, that kind of stuff. I also had to light things up because I don't want any creepers dropping in on my head. Uh, as there is a central courtyard and then there, I don't want to have like spawning spaces encircling this whole thing because... It's big enough that they're going to be more than 32 blocks away from you in some places. So you don't want to go up to the top of a wall realizing, oh, there's two creepers up here because I left it dark. Yeah. And the soul fire lanterns, sorry, the soul lanterns, they don't light it up so much that it glows at night. Like you get some lighting and because of the lovely new, you know, uh, I don't, can we still call it new? The lighting mechanics where things don't spawn uh, unless it's zero means that you need maybe one soul lantern on a wall, maybe two. To make it look aesthetically pleasing but you don't need one every four blocks so it doesn't look like a christmas tree which is great and i started adding these little tower things to the top of uh, each stone tower these little light kind of um they almost look like street lights but I, I couldn't think of anything else to do i kind of pointed them in different directions i put a double light over the gate which i quite like and the fact that they echo around the tower uh and the keep they make it feel a little bit more functional so i like the way that they are right now i don't think i'm going to add a light to the top of the tallest tower the really skinny one on the west i just kind of like the way that it looks kind of feels iconic uh i feel like sticking a little twig on the top of it would look kind of silly and take away from it so we're going to leave that the way that it is and uh I've, I've left some things dark it's not perfectly spawn proof i just like how dark the west side of the main roof is and it uh it just feels creepy it feels like one of those you know gothic you know movies where you know dracula's running across the top of the roof and it's all black and just it just feels kind of spooky um and then the other thing that i did was um all of these places have got stairwells that lead up to them whether it's a wooden staircase or a stone staircase especially around the front gate and around the towers that are near the main entrance to the hall there's these rooms that are just kind of like just big enough for a staircase and a couple of other things. So I was throwing things like tripwire hooks up against the walls. Uh, my note blocks are textured to look like crates. I've got spruce chests uh, as a texture. 
and kind of throwing stuff around so it looks like there's a function to the space as you head up the stairs it's either storage maybe it's meant for guards to hang their bow or grab more supplies for the top of the wall that kind of thing uh, i really enjoy the um, vanilla tweaks data pack wandering trades which gives you mini blocks of all the different blocks in the game that you trade with the wandering trader and polished andesite is a great little block because it looks like a cannonball even though i don't have any cannons it just <laughs> yeah, it looks yeah. like a it looks like a heavy stone that you might throw off the wall if you were like defending it or something like that uh it just looks like cool stuff piled around and uh and again anything that puts a minecraft block on a bit of an angle like you can with any kind of head block which is what they are then it really helps uh sell it but that's it like it's just it's really kind of going through these details it's a slow process it took me a couple of hours each stream to go through about half the keep and i still have a few more parts left to do but i just really like it you don't have to plan or think ahead too much you just kind of sketch i i, I equate it to sketching as an artist you kind of like does that look good here oh um this looks a little bit brown let's add some or a little bit gray let's add some trapdoors and i don't want to do a trapdoor ring around the whole thing so i'll just add steps in like the corners and maybe in the middle and then it'll just it'll look okay it'll look like it has a function or a purpose or it was intentionally put there and the lighting thing the only part that got a little bit frustrating was lighting things up because i had to more than i wanted to and that's where i really feel like it would be nice to have control over the lanterns i definitely remember talking about this on stream where one of the things i wish you could do with lanterns would be to control the light level of them yeah and i know that there are different lanterns that then emit different light levels and that's fine that would be one solution mojang could potentially put out there which would be a third or a fourth kind of lantern that you could craft it different you know different ways but the way that i was thinking about it was probably you know unless it was a kerosene lantern like the way to do it would be just add more candles so you build a lantern and if you use a candle then it's going to be the same as one candle you know we can bundle up to four candles in a block and they increase i think by three every time that you add a candle it would be awesome if you could do that with a lantern and have both the light it emits as well as the intensity of the texture go up each time mm -hmm. because i may not i like the blue lantern probably because it was my only other choice beyond the regular lantern but if i had a if i had my you know full control i would probably be putting these orange lanterns all over the place at varying degrees of intensity you yeah. know like the lan the lantern above a door to the kitchen is probably going to be a low level lantern but the the two lanterns hanging outside the main gate the main port cause those would probably be either full strength or almost full strength you know and i think that having that level of control would be really really fun and having the soul lantern hanging over the kitchen giving off this eerie blue light isn't quite the vibe you want for like no, a, exactly. a warm space with a hearth and everything right yeah i can i can kind of yeah. see that do you feel like an obligation to make sure everything in west hill is mob proof for people who will visit later or is it really like for your own convenience because you don't want creepers coming up behind you and blowing up stuff that you've worked this hard on building oh it's essentially selfish yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. i mean i also don't i also wouldn't want the experience like if it was somebody else's build and i was walking around looking at it and then a creeper came in and blew me up as well as part of the build yeah <laughs> i would feel bad even though it wouldn't be my fault because it should have been lit up you know um, but yeah, I'd like it to be safe. The other thing is that we play on hard mode, so zombies break doors. Yeah, and yeah. If you get zombies spawning, 
There's been definitely times where I've walked through hallways going like, I could have sworn I put a yeah, door was, on this two weeks ago, There was a door here ago, yesterday. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? So that kind of stuff is a pain. Um, but yeah, it's, it's mostly because West Hill is so big that you absolutely will get stuff spawning at one end if you're at the other. Yeah. Or even just far enough away, uh, like across the river. And the issue, of course, is that because it's mostly lit up, any one particular space that is not is almost guaranteed to have a mob spawn, right? Because it's the only place for miles that they can spawn. Uh, I think the only thing that saves me from having more mobs in the town is that outside the town is pretty poorly lit up except for the roads. So most of them spawn in the fields outside the town and then therefore the cap gets hit a lot faster. Mm. I've also not done any lighting. So unlike a normal play area, I've not lit up anything underground. Like I've yeah. not gone caving. Uh, you know, there's a couple of little spots where I've filled in spaces and and smoothed out the landscape around Westall. But there's a there's a whole mine shaft down below. There's all kinds of things. There's geodes that I've found, and I've left it all blank because all the mobs spawn down there and gives me less trouble up top. But uh, I definitely run into them if I go out on the main road. There's definitely a lot of creepers and skeletons like hanging around in the fields and the swamp and stuff. So yeah, it's it's mostly for me, um, but. It's not perfect either. Like I'm not going to, if something really looks terrible, uh, then I'm not going to sacrifice, you know, having a light there and making it look too lit up just to have it be spawn proof. And in a lot of ways, these trapdoors help too, because I've seen places where there are spawning spaces. And I think, well, if I put a railing there, then it can't spawn because there's a trapdoor there. Even if the trapdoor is vertical, it the mob won't spawn. So yeah. I've I've done stuff like that where I've placed things that while they don't light up the area, they will absolutely keep things from spawning. A lot of the dark corners that I, you know, with the screenshots from this week where I've got stuff, you know, piled with crates and barrels and things like that. The spaces underneath those barrels are zeros, yeah. right? And so when you fill in that corner, it gives you just enough coverage where like the space in front of the barrel is now a one and you know that you're spawn free. So it's it's been fun. I, I really like the the this process because it feels like the keep is becoming more finished. Um, I've been putting off the inside stuff because I haven't figured out what I'm going to do about furniture yet. Um, but it, it, it starts to feel like when you're when I'm walking around the keep and there's staircases and ramparts and different places to go up and down and everything has stuff around. It just feels more complete and I'm really starting to enjoy just walking around the, the keep now. There's a few things left to do, but it's it's starting to feel quite finished. Awesome. More progress, I'm sure, next week. In the meantime, let's get on and talk about this week's snapshots. We have Minecraft Java Edition Snapshots 23W33A this week. We'll have a link to that in our show notes, as always. And we're going to quote verbatim the beginning of this article because it's about player name and skin reporting. Quote begins... We are making some important updates to our player reporting tool in this snapshot to better protect the online safety of our players. Playing Minecraft should be an inclusive and safe experience for everyone, which is why, alongside in-game chat messages, you will now be able to report player skins and usernames that violate our community standards in Java Edition. Just like with chat reports, nothing is automated. Any reported skin or username will be reviewed manually by a team of trained Minecraft moderators who will use the submitted evidence to decide whether the skin and or username is in breach of our community standards. Skins that are in violation of these standards will be removed from Minecraft and will no longer be accessible for use by any player. 
Usernames that are in violation of these standards will need to be changed before that player can play online via a shared server or realm, though single-player mode will still be accessible." End quote. So player skins and names can now be reported in the social interaction screen from this snapshot onward. If a skin or name is reported and found to be violating community standards, which are also linked in the changelog article, our team of human moderators can take action in a few ways. They either ban the skin from being used by any player, ban the name from being used by any player, or suspend the player from online play in the case of repeated offences. When a skin is banned, players with that skin will have their skin removed, they will be notified of that when they launch the game, and will automatically be assigned one of the default skins. They can still play with the default skin on multiplayer and single player, and could select a new custom skin at any time. When a player's name is banned, the player will need to choose a new name, which they'll be notified of when they launch the game. They will not be able to play online until their username is changed, but they can still play single player. A skin or name that has banned cannot be used by any player in future. Changes in 23W33A include sponges and wet sponges now having their own custom sounds. The calculation to determine whether a mob can attack a player or other mobs have been changed. More details on that in a second. They've added a hotkey for the narrator as an accessibility option. The narrator can now be toggled on and off with Control B. They've added a I want to report them, player reporting category, just for more general reports, and a change has been reverted where armor trim patterns would be masked by the underlying armor texture. So to discuss these mob attack reach changes, the calculations to determine whether a mob can attack a player or other mobs have been changed. Previously, a mob's horizontal width was used to determine their attack reach, and their height had no effect. The area where a mob can attack is now their bounding box extended in horizontal directions. If a mob is entirely below or above a player, they'll not be able to reach you, and while riding on a medium-sized mob like a horse, you'll be protected from small mobs like baby zombies. While riding on a tall mob like a camel, you'll be protected from standard-sized mobs like regular zombies. It's kind of the, uh, you know, poster feature of the camel in the first place. Also, ravagers won't be able to attack you through a few block-thick walls anymore. However, to escape from an enderman, you will need to be at least three blocks above the ground, above the enderman's total height, not one and a half blocks as before. Mobs will be able to attack you with the bottom of their hitbox, assuming your head is in range, and so this means builds that trap hostile mobs might need to be adjusted in order to be safe. This change does not affect the reach of players, and mobs still need to see their target in order to attack it. Technical changes in 23W33A. The charts on the debug screen can now be toggled with F3 plus 1, the pie chart, F3 plus 2, FPS and TPS, and F3 plus 3, bandwidth and ping, instead of holding Shift, Alt, or Control while opening the screen. Added decal fields to armor trim patterns, default false. If true, the pattern texture will be masked based on the underlying armor. Bug fixes in 22W32A. Wrong attack radius calculation damages and kills entities through blocks and corners. Zoglins, hoglins, and pandas can still attack players riding camels. Eating chorus fruit does not reset fall distance. Narrator hotkey cannot be customized or disabled. Bees don't pollinate themselves with spore blossoms and chorus flowers. And armor trim no longer render their second layer. A full list of bugs can be found on the minecraft.net article that will be linked in our show notes. 
So I think the main thing to discuss with this, I, I think obviously the mob attack reach thing is worthy of note as well, but the main thing they've introduced with the snapshot is uh, player name and skin reporting. And I think this change has been received with a lot more understanding and positivity than there was around chat moderation. And I think that's really obvious like for a couple of reasons. First of all, this seems like an easier concept to understand. I think a few folks in our community, and like I've certainly seen them, uh, will have seen, you know, inappropriate usernames a couple of times or like skins that are a little bit questionable. Um, I think it is harder to come up with false positives. A lot of the conversation around chat moderation was about nuance and context. And since it's such a small thing or such an obviously visual thing, somebody's Minecraft skin or username being offensive is quite clearly offensive. There's less room for that kind of like ambiguity, right? Um, I think a few people have raised some concerns over what is considered inappropriate and just sharing my own opinion on this it seems like the minecraft team is only going to take action if a player's skin is genuinely harmful which i i presume is going to be limited to depictions of nudity or people who dress as nazi soldiers or something like that right or or, or usernames that relate to that kind of thing so i think the conditions under which these actions are going to be taken are more blatantly extreme and i think the consequences of the actions according to this changelog are also less severe. Players' accounts aren't banned from online play at all for just having an objectionable username or skin. It's simply removed and the player can be suspended for repeat offences, but typically speaking they're suspended from online play until they make some meaningful changes, at which point they're allowed to come back online. So it certainly seems like less of a uh, a scenario in which you could lose access to Minecraft entirely, which is what a lot of people were concerned about when they introduced chat moderation. And I think that's really good in the event that someone has found a skin online that they like and maybe not realize that it's offensive in another culture or, you know, even in their own, uh, because maybe they're just inexperienced with online stuff. They just, they liked the skin. They thought it was purple, whatever they liked it and they used it and then they get dinged and say like hey by the way that's not allowed um and so we've removed the skin you're still allowed to play but just not with that skin i think that's an appropriate uh way to do it and while i don't know the back end of this it does feel like through this process mojang can build up a library of offensive skins and like prevent them from being allowed in the future yeah yeah like i i am kind of curious how that is done um yeah i wouldn't know either, but <laughs> because like I, yeah, I would... you're kind of matching data to data at that point it's sort of like your skin almost becomes like a digital fingerprint in a sense yeah. and so yeah it, it, it may be possible to do that and I'm, I'm curious about the the technology just from like a, a an intellectual point of view more than like concerns about it or anything Oh, no. And I think with what we can do, I say we, what can be done with AI right now and art in general sure, and in generative stuff, I think could also be done in the reverse, which is like, look, use an AI model. And, I'm, and this is pure speculation, folks, but like use an AI model to scan skins looking for symbols that are generally offensive, looking for like, oh, we've we've, uh, you know, removed uh, several dozen skins this week for, you know, offensive nudity or suggested nudity or whatever. And so now our system knows what to look for. And rather than waiting on another player reporting that, 
the next time that someone tries to do it, they can say, nope, your, you know, your skin has been flagged as inappropriate. Please make changes before we allow you to use it like that kind of stuff. Um, and I mean, I'm glad that it's been fairly well received, at least in terms of well understood, because, you know, ultimately it's Mojang sandbox. I yeah. mean, it's a sandbox, but it's Mojang sandbox and they're going to set the rules. And, uh, you know, you sign up for any game that is online, you know, usually has a user license agreement that and set of rules for codes of conduct. And you're expected to follow them because like even if you paid for the game or paying for a service game, which is not Minecraft, but like if you're paying an online monthly fee or something like that, like you're still expected to play within the rules. Yeah. And I, I think that when people cry you know wolf that their freedom of expression is being you know trampled on with these kind of regulations then don't play the game like if you feel that strongly about it then this isn't the place for what you want to do and there are avenues and places to do that it's just not minecraft and you know i i think that generally speaking as the public gets more and more internet savvy in terms of what's appropriate and not and what the ramifications are you know, within that, I think that the player bites in Minecraft, as you mentioned, I also see is more acceptable of like, yeah, okay, this makes sense. Like, you know, I, and I think Minecraft might get, I don't want to say a pass, but it gets an, it's easier to accept when you understand how many young people play the game. Yeah. yeah. I think it becomes easier for adults to say like, oh yeah, no, let's, let's keep the, the offensive stuff away from the kids. That's, that's probably good. You know, yeah. like I can play other games where that's allowed. I don't need, I don't need it to be in Minecraft, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I feel like it also benefits from this coming after the chat moderation changes, which were a lot larger. Sure. Yeah. They were initially more confusing. There was a long feedback period for those because they kind of felt like they came out of nowhere. Whereas at this point, players have had time to settle into that as an environment and have also had more time to see that the chat reporting changes didn't necessarily lead to misuses of the system or widespread unwarranted bans which were sort of the major concerns about people you know gaming the system or getting somebody reported for something they didn't do or whatever um so yeah hopefully this is another positive change that we'll see very few negative repercussions and uh yeah hopefully it'll be business as usual for everybody else um, in the meantime, though, these mob attack reach changes are, yeah, the other thing that I feel like is is worthy of a brief discussion here. And I need to test these out in a snapshot world to feel the effects of this change. Mostly, I just find it interesting that an Enderman will be able to kick me now, you know? <laughs> or like, yeah. there's, there's, there's a few situations, especially, I'm thinking in, like, Skyblock terms, where you're building in what feels like a limited space even though you have abundant space to build in you're having to build sort of on small platforms and you're trying to use as few resources as possible so you end up with a mob farm where you're like belly up to the thing swiping at stuff with a sword and you feel like most of the time stuff can't attack you from that range and there are some situations in which it's like well why you know is is it really realistic that this zombie wouldn't be able to like swing down towards its knees to try and grab you you know that that kind of thing and so i'm i'm curious about how this is going to affect people um but yeah i i i think it's ultimately a good change for intuitive behavior and what newer players might expect mob behavior to be i just haven't heard a, a compelling argument as to <clears throat> this being necessarily a bad thing um, it might change how we secure our villagers and protect ourselves from Endermen and so on and so forth. But yeah, I think it, it seems like a, a, if not a necessary change, then at least a, a uh, an intuitive one. I think what would be nice for anybody that's technically savvy out there 
would be to have an attack range hitbox. You know, like when you put turn on hitboxes and you can see the hitbox in which a zombie can receive a hit as well as its eye line, uh, why not have uh, another box outside of that that indicates this is how far it reaches? Yeah, pretty reasonable, yeah, I, I'd say. Yeah, I, I think that would, because I think that there's going to be a lot of testing for the technical people that I know that there's going to be some of the mob farms that I have um, haphazardly set up around the server, skeleton farms, things that are either, you know, sometimes they're manual, sometimes they're not, but I'm absolutely standing at the feet of skeletons. And if they can kick me, then I have to either adjust my distance from the skeleton. And sometimes that can be done by putting like a wall like a stone wall or something between you and the next box to like just keep the skeletons out of arms reach, but then your reach with a sword is still longer, I guess. So there's stuff like that you'd have to consider, but there's other situations where I know that I've got, you know, zombies or other critters that are like eye level or, you know, they would definitely be overlapping vertically. Um, I know most of my Enderman situations are... I think it's because of a horizontal distance or it's one of those situations where I'm under two and a half blocks and they just can't get close enough to me because they can't fit. Right. And that seems to still be true. The other thing that I noticed uh, by watching an Exumavoid video was the changes in how zombies can attack villagers where they can't attack them through closed doors. They can't go through like when two blocks are kitty corner to one another. Yeah. You know, and there's that, that weird corner space. And in some way, I'm sure this was a response to, you know, standing on a 1.5 high block situation and and being able to avoid an Enderman. But in another way, it also feels like uh, an additional change to the way that people were using zombies to cure villagers and get uh, low rates and and have that like have the zombie just kind of like walk behind the villagers or mm -hmm. have the zombie um, in a cage and have the, have the villager pull up in a minecart get zombified, get cured, then pull away and then bring it back up. Like there was some automatic farms and, and contraptions while very cool. I think that's going to change how a lot of these work, you know? Yeah, I'm the one that immediately springs to mind for me is uh, using piglins as bait in a wither skeleton farm because wither skeletons are three blocks tall. So if they can get close enough to your piglins now, you're going to need to secure them away in slightly different ways. So right. yeah, I'm kind of curious about working around that with the design I've been using for a wither skeleton farm previously, which I know I want to build in the survival guide world because the one I built on Empires was really effective and I have a perfect soul sand valley picked out for the eventual nice. with a skeleton farm so we'll have to see but uh, yeah interesting that they're revising mechanics like this and this is what we expected the dot releases of updates to be after they kind of initially started rolling out these uh, mechanical changes in 119.3 and dot four uh what do you say we move on into chunk mail sounds like a plan if you would like to email the show the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com our first email comes from judd g not Judgy, Judd G, <laughs> a landscape artist member of our Discord, Default Skins. Hi, Joel and Johnny. After watching Pix's most recent episode, I thought I would share that I often play Minecraft on mobile on the bus to work. I turn off my internet all the time to save data, and my custom skin is always available offline. Why has this why have this in Bedrock, but not in Java? It's clearly a feature Mojang has thought about. When I first started playing, my default skin was Alex, but recently after they added the other more diverse options, my default skin is now K. Maybe 
the way default skins function could be applied to saving custom skins for offline play. Thanks for all the work you do on the show. I've been listening since you had three stacks of episodes, and it's awesome to see you get to four stacks. I am also a recent landscape artist supporter. Judd thrives because of all he's learned from Pixel Rips and the Spawn Chunks. <laughs> well, thanks, Judd. Um, always nice to hear about people thriving and not dying in these email sign-offs. Um, so yeah, obviously, as a, a, a recent... Uh, recently having run up against this issue with having to play offline for a few days while my internet cable was being fixed the hoops i have to jump through as a java player to get my skin to work offline was a real shock to the system and so yeah it's interesting that this discussion has come up i can understand why changing skins mid-game is part of the bedrock edition experience because of the marketplace the fact that a lot of the time for console mobile and so forth you are downloading skins from the marketplace in order to use them in-game, and then being disconnected from all of those because you're playing offline seems kind of like a bit of a shame. Not to mention the fact that mobile devices can then be taken anywhere, so it sort of stands to reason that you should be able to play with the skin that you're used to in an area that you don't have an internet connection if you're playing on a device that allows you to travel with it more easily than a desktop computer. So I think part of the reason that this isn't a thing in java is almost like a, a legacy thing you know it's it's because the skins are handled by that central server and that central server is what allows you to download things like player heads for the mini blocks you were talking about with your vanilla tweaks uh, uh, data pack it's a centralized hub of data for people to to get their skins from when they load up java edition and I expect, with with a, regards to the changes in this week's snapshot, I expect it helps them moderate custom skins on Java Edition if they're uploaded to a central server and are both stored there, but then also can't be switched out so easily. The Java launcher has at least given the player an option to change skins from within the launcher now, so you don't have to go to the uh, minecraft.net website to do it but you still need online connectivity to do that if you go to the skins tab in the launcher it if you're offline it says sorry you can't access this right now so yeah it is kind of a surprise that just storing that somewhere for offline play isn't considered as part of the java ecosystem you think it would be just a simple download like once it's approved then you would be able to have at least one just hanging out locally on your on your system but I don't know, like, or maybe, or maybe a copy, like, you know, maybe you'd have one locally and that would only be accessed when you don't have access to the internet. I, I don't know what the technical side would be. Um, I find it all really interesting because I don't really put a lot of stock in my skin and that could just be my age as a player. And the fact that I don't do edited video content where I then use the Minecraft, you know, player skin as yeah. a way to address the camera. Like I don't spin the camera around and look at me. Um, I, w I mean, I would notice a different arm color, different sleeve color in the game if I ended up with a default skin. And I'm sure if I opened my inventory, I'd be like, wait a minute, that's not a plaid shirt. Um, I don't know that I would deeply care about it. But then again, uh, I've never been that way about games. So that's I, that's a me thing. Um, but uh, was it jarring for you? Like when you logged in and had to do a video with an Alex skin, like did that feel really weird? I mean, it didn't feel too weird, but 
it wouldn't have been a problem for me at all were it not for the fact that I produce videos. <laughs> so right. like I can I can understand sort of the the spectrum of people who they're expecting to encounter this as a problem and have a problem with it is very, very small, you know? Um I expect most of the time people who are interested in making Minecraft videos are going to be somewhere with an internet connection. And if they're not, then they're probably not going to be recording anything. So it stands to reason that like they're not worried about the presentation of it. They just want to get in and play the game. And once I was in there, it like is barely noticeable. You open your inventory and there's a slightly different player model there. But at that point, I'm covered in the same armor that I usually wear. Right. So, you know, that that's yeah. already got a couple of my personalizations to it, thanks to armor trim being a thing. So it didn't feel like an out-of-body experience or anything, but it certainly did feel strange delivering my intro, looking at the camera with a blank sort of Alex face. And the fact that you're not even able to choose from the default skins when you load up the game, like I couldn't switch myself to looking like Steve. Like it assigns it based on your unique user ID. So I was automatically Alex and I couldn't pick from the other available Oh, skins from from like the default range because even those are just available through the website and through the skin changer and they're not necessarily part of the offline experience of minecraft at all so oh. yeah like that that was the thing that kind of piqued my curiosity about it and I, I did a bit more reading into it the only other options i had whilst i was offline were to install a mod like a community made mod uh, that could allow you to use offline skins there are apparently ways to set it up using resource packs but since the resource packs for block textures and everything are stored so separately to any kind of data related to player appearance i wasn't sure how to get all of that set up and you know i could have potentially figured out some way of getting a very brief internet connection and then you know all i would need to do is log in once and i would be able to use my skin forever but it turned out that USB tethering to my phone just wasn't an option on my PC for whatever reason, whether the PC or the phone had issues communicating, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's a little strange being forced to use a specific skin when it's such a small image file, you know, it's a, it's a PNG, it's 16 kilobytes on disk, you know, it seems like the kind of thing that you should be able to, to get in there. So it's obviously not a priority for the Java team, but I wonder if that's a change they can make in future. Do you want to read the next one? Yes. Moving on to our next email. This one comes in from Mechmorphic with the subject of aesthetic block interactions. Hi, Joel and Pix. Lately, I have been thinking about some aesthetic block interactions I would like to see added to Minecraft. One great example is between fence posts and signs. I would like it if you could hang hanging signs off of fence posts and have the fence post connect to the sign with that connection's block model matching seamlessly with the wooden bar of the hanging sign. I would also appreciate it if fence posts would visually connect to the back of regular signs that you place on their sides, instead of having the sign float mid-air. Are there any minor aesthetic block model interaction changes you'd like to see changed in Minecraft? Mechmorphic travelled out of your render distance. P.S. I've been tuning into the podcast since 2019 and really enjoy it. Thanks for the work you both do producing it. P.P.S. I'd love to see Etho on the show at some point to talk about his playstyle. Batman exit. I like it. I'm also here for an Etho uh, interview. That would be oh, great. Yeah, As a I fellow mean, Canadian, I think that would be really, really <laughs> you'd, fun. You'd have a lot in common. But yeah, like of course, Etho would be a great guest. He basically pioneered technical Minecraft on YouTube. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll 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 try and reach out at some stage. Obviously, we haven't had proper guests uh, appearing on episodes for a little while, so we need to get back into the swing of things. But uh, yeah, he's he's certainly on our radar. Uh, once again, as a member of Hermitcraft, we don't always want to be just ticking off members of Hermitcraft as, as guests on the show. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. 
signs and hanging sign interactions are a big one for me too. Yeah. I think that there could be additional ways that they work with other blocks that would make a lot of sense. And as someone that wants to put up like road signs around uh, around the, the different areas in West Hill and the Valley pointing towards different, you know, take this road to get to this bridge or take this road to go to the main town and not being able to attach those to fence posts. It's like, it's tricky. It, it feels very odd to have like essentially a giant tree that you have to attach these things to. So um, it's chunky Minecraft, but it would be better if we could interact with signs with hanging signs a bit more. Uh, and I actually kind of hung around on the fence posts uh, for more block interactions. I think fence posts interacting with stone walls would be a nice change. Uh, I think that in some ways I also want fences to not interact with things like raised trapdoors. So when a trapdoor is up, the fence will treat it like it's the face of a block. Yeah. And and connect to it. And you might not want that. Now, I don't know how you would implement that because you want the fence to also be consistent when it's next to an actual uh, block versus uh, a trapdoor. So I don't know how that would happen, but it would be nice if it didn't always do that because I've definitely had times where I've wanted to put a trapdoor next to a fence, but I don't want it to connect to it uh, all the time. Sometimes I do. And I think that's the problem is that you, you have to make a choice as a player. And I don't know how to make that choice. Um, lanterns that I mentioned earlier, uh, I really feel should have a side placement, just like hanging signs. We know it's doable. We know it's possible. Hanging signs hang under things in various different ways, and they also hang on the side of things. Lanterns should be able to be hung on the side of a wall without having to put like a trapdoor above it or something for it to be hung from vertically. Um, I also mentioned earlier the control of light levels in candles, even or in lanterns, even if it meant using candles. I think that would be a big interactive thing for me. And uh, the other thing that I've come across recently is uh, cave vines. And I think cave vines should be able to be hung from leaf blocks because I want to put them underneath trees or foliage or custom growth of any kind. And you can't do that. You have to hang them to a solid block. Now, pro tip, you can hide a mangrove root block in your in your tree or in your bush and hang a vine from that, which is really counterintuitive, but yeah. it works. Uh, and I think, and the same is true of spore blossoms. Like you want to put a spore blossom underneath your foliage. You've got to attach it to a solid block or a block that functions as a solid block, like mangrove roots. And I think that kind of led me to just wanting all blocks to that are in the foliage variety to work with one another. Like, I feel like you should be able to place propagules uh underneath all of the leaf blocks not just mangrove now does it make sense that they go on mangrove yes but would it be cool if you could mix and match and create your own stuff by putting them on other leaf blocks absolutely you know hanging them under moss blocks that kind of stuff would be really really cool uh now i understand that there's some limits i don't think it's necessarily going to be make a lot of sense to put a flower on top of a leaf block because like where would it plant like that doesn't make any sense um but i think a spore blossom underneath a leaf block does make sense so I would like to see more of the foliage interact with, you know, each other in terms of the 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 overall palette in the game, I guess. Yeah, I think the same maybe even of like mossy stone variants and being able to grow grass from them. And this sort of touches on the discussion we had previously about pink petals actually being a flower and not scattered petals because you can't put them on anything stone related. So right, that's, yeah. that's, that's obviously one that the community has been... Uh, curious about since 1.20 added them um i think a lot of mine when it comes to these have already been phased out like the one that irked me for a while was glass panes connecting to leaf blocks 
uh, which they no longer do. Uh, so you can have a bush growing outside of a window made of glass panes and it's not going to connect awkwardly and make the, the window look yeah. really weird from the inside. Um, yeah, th there's there's a few of them. Um, I would love chains to be able to turn corners and connect to each other at a right angle and maybe even connect to stuff like fences horizontally. I think yes. ultimately these just end up being different block states to add to existing blocks. Like chains have horizontal, vertical, they don't have right angle as an option. Likewise, fence posts only have a couple of different block states regardless of what they're connected to. They always connect to it the same way. So having a fence uh, with a hanging sign attached to it and having that look natural requires you not to change the hanging sign, but to change the fence so that it only you know generates one post sticking out of it at a right angle so there's like a, a few things there there's um a, a, something you mentioned earlier about fences and stone walls interacting yeah it's strange that we have to use fence gates as like a go-between and you can mm -hmm. sort of see why because there are no gate equivalents in walls but you still need to access you know a walled off area if you want to build like a stone wall around your cow pen instead of a, a wooden fence then there's there's certainly ways that you can do that yeah i had a hard time thinking of other examples that really made sense to me um because i think they have eliminated a lot of the ones that i was initially like annoyed by or confused by but yeah chains are the main thing because i i like the idea of chains feeling like they can't just they, they aren't just stretched fully horizontal uh, or, or dangling vertically between stuff that they have a bit more uh, freedom of movement i guess moving on to our next email from elo mending upgrades hi johnny and joel i've been thinking for a while that the main issue people have with the changes to the villager training system is the mending enchantment specifically for most players it's objectively required on almost every piece of gear and i think that that trivializes the survival aspect of the game I believe a possible solution to this might be to make mending an upgrade template instead of an enchantment like the netherite upgrade. Perhaps the template could be found in the end cities for balance. This way, mending is still infinitely reproducible, but at a cost and acquiring the upgrade template will not be easy or as easy as villager trading. Perhaps mending and netherite could be mutually exclusive question mark, though that might be taking it too far. Let me know your thoughts. Elo fell into the void after his elytra broke because he forgot to put mending on them. Oh no, <laughs> that's Yikes. a long flight. I, I feel like lately I've gotten into the habit of bringing unbreaking and mending books with me to the end when I go to acquire elytra. It's just like the the first thing that you always want to do. Um, I guess yeah, this the the villager trading changes are bringing up the discussion around mending, and I have seen a few other people saying. You know, I think mending is. I think it was Ijevin on Twitter recently was just saying, I think mending is overpowered. I think mending in general was a mistake and it sort of devalues the, you know, ability to craft more tools. And he had another solution to maybe balancing mending so it didn't feel like you had one set of tools forever. But uh, yeah, I, I am, I'm curious that this is something that's sort of percolating in a few Minecrafters' minds lately. I find it interesting too that the solution to feeling that mending negates the survival aspect of the game is to change mending you could also just not use mending 
Yeah. Right. Like yeah, yeah. If, 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 I mean, I, I mean, it's, that's a bit of a snarky response, but it, it's, it's also like, well, if it, if it bothers people that much, then just don't use it. Yeah. You know, there it's the, we uh, talked about player challenges a few weeks ago. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing of like, you know, if you think the game is too tough, then start wearing leather armor all of the time. And, you know, does combat yeah. feel more balanced as a result? But it, it's usually the case that like, I think we talked to Azuma about this or Azuma's mentioned this in a few videos, but players always wanting to take the path of least resistance and it just feeling oh, if you're like you're trying to use as many parts of the game as the game gives you but then you know you're wondering why you're so overpowered when you're using the best tool set in the game and so it, it depends what you want out of the experience and, and minecraft being a sandbox the experience of having like tools that work for you long term and can be repaired fairly trivially is ideal for players who don't care that much about the tech progression and about the crafting side of things and just want to get on with gathering resources and building with them. And that's where I land with mending. Like, I think it is a great quality of life improvement for me because I don't really want to interact with mobs and I don't really want to interact, you know, I'm not playing PvP. I'm not really about fighting in Minecraft. I'm mostly about, you know, building and, and stuff like that. And the fewer times I have to either one potentially lose a pickaxe but also two um like have to go back and repair it it's great because it means that over time i just i don't have to keep on crafting or inter dealing with villagers and all that kind of stuff because that's not my main reason for playing minecraft and i mean the the path of least resistance brings me to a, a really good point as well which is that while i really like the idea that elo put out there which was you know making mending tougher to acquire and I like the idea of turning it into a, a template like Netherite. I think that's that makes a lot of sense because you could attach a cost to it. You know, I also feel, unfortunately, as a prediction, in general, the community would provide a lot of negative feedback to that because it's like taking something away. Like now that mending is in the game, I think Mojang is lucky they're not getting more heat from the way that it's changing with villager trades. You know, if mending was put in the same situation as Netherite from where it is now, I think there'd be a lot of negative feedback. I don't agree with it, but I, th I think that that's what would happen because people just want that path of least resistance. And so many players, you see it on a lot of times on like Let's Play survival servers where some players have the mindset of like, they just beeline straight to netherite mending, like end game gear as fast as possible because they just don't want to feel the need to panic and be in a cave and 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 have to worry about dying like they want to feel like they're just i'm here to explore i don't want the inconvenience of dying and losing my stuff and having to stop what i'm doing and, and re-gear and all that kind of stuff all over again and i feel like um there's room for for both players but i do i do, I do like the idea of changing mending to be something different and as far as what that looks like we can't yet apply templates to tools it's just armor at the moment and well like what would that look like you know because really for me mending it's more about my tools than it is my armor and i feel like putting a tool in a smithing template might be a little straightforward i kind of wonder whether there could be something added like right now for templates we don't actually have a, a fuel cost or a time cost like it's not like smelting something Whereas, you know, the cost in a um, template is usually the cost of duplicating it, which is like the material that it's made of plus, is it eight diamonds? To Seven. Duplicate? Yeah. Seven? Yeah. So, so yeah, so you have to do that, you know, around an armor, armor template to, to do that. And, you know, like if you did that with mending as a template, that becomes more expensive. But 
I mean, as an endgame player, if you've got a lot of, if you want a lot of mending, you probably already have a lot of diamonds, you know, and it would be still long-term cheaper than constantly replacing diamond pickaxes and stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I think there's ways to balance it. What do you think? I think the problem is we've had mending since 1.9 and it feels strange at this point to nerf it or add more obstacles in the path of acquiring it when... Yeah, I, I agree that maybe too many people rely on it, or at least uh, as far as we're aware from the community, people end up relying on it. But like I said, there are playstyles where people aren't interested in, you know, using up a tool completely and then having to dispose of it. Or, you know, th th there being other ways to implement mending is, is an interesting discussion, but I'm not sure what those would be that don't just feel like taking away something that wasn't really causing that many problems to begin with. Um, I think there are now more reasons to want diamonds. Uh, there are more reasons to kind of balance an economy around diamonds with the addition of armor trim, and people have had a good time using that. It, like, it hasn't really been a feature that most people have ignored. People like the, the idea of it. And now that I'm in the ecosystem of using netherite upgrade templates to turn my gear into netherite, I'm going to be using tons of diamonds in order to you know, what is it, like, five tools and armor, as, as like, four pieces of armor, I'm going to be spending a lot of diamonds on my existing diamond armor, not to mention if I, you know, ended up losing durability on those and having to repair them. I think especially with stuff like, once you've got netherite equipment, the way that you repair that stuff in an anvil, I'm fairly certain, is with netherite ingots. Like, you can't repair a netherite pickaxe with diamonds in an anvil. So I think it, it becomes even more grindy once you reach that stage, and that would put people off using netherite as a material, even more so than the the upgrade process now does. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a curious balancing act. I think the proposal of adding it to the end as an item on the one hand sounds like a good idea for the long-term balance of the game but on the other hand might just add more reasons for long-term players to rush the progression and get to the point where they have shulker boxes and mending they always just be beeline for the end cities um yeah the other thing is i think adding mending as a trade for only a specific type of villager could always be balanced with adding more guarantee of finding mending books in structure loot because right now all of the enchanted books you get from ancient cities with the exceptions of swift sneak uh dungeons fishing all of that stuff is randomized it's just you know within a certain range of enchantment levels it just gives you a random book sometimes with multiple enchantments even and so i think if there was a place where you could more likely find mending if not a hundred percent guarantee find mending players might feel a little bit more secure in that knowledge but adding it to the end cities does just sort of incentivize players to beeline straight there instead of you know playing in the overworld for a little while longer moving on from that one uh, the next email comes in from shadowstar 13 with the subject of adjusting the grind Hello, was listening to a recent episode about the adjustments to villagers and villager trading, and I had a thought about a way to help the enchanting system. What if the grindstone was more functional? Instead of just removing all enchantments on an item, what if a player could choose to remove just one enchantment? 
To balance this out, there would be no returned XP to the player if they didn't remove all the enchantments. While not affixed to a broken enchantment table, it would be helpful and perhaps give players a bit more control. What are your thoughts on other mechanics that could help with this? I think more player control is likely what most players are after. And to balance that out, maybe attach a price to it. You know, normally in games, I much prefer a cost for control versus rolling the dice over and over and over again. In some other games, it might be like, you know, in-game gold or other items that you've collected that get destroyed when you craft, like that kind of a thing. Um, what does this cost in Minecraft if we were to add a cost to the grindstone? I mean, maybe the grindstone gets durability like an anvil and eventually breaks after so many uses of removing enchantments. Uh, grindstones in real life often use diamonds, which are hard uh, for, you know, grinding implements. And so maybe instead of just sticks and smooth stone, you know, you could use a um, you could use diamonds in in a grindstone. Maybe there's a grindstone added where you have the regular grindstone that removes all of the enchants and an enchanted grindstone or some other special, you know, a diamond grindstone, whatever you want to call it, uh, which could give, you know, people a different block to play with more for builders, more creative stuff. But then also say, OK, well, with this more expensive, harder to make grindstone, uh, you also get to choose the enchantment that you remove. And it has durability in that it will eventually break and you'll have to replace it, including, you know, the cost of the diamond or whatever, you know, precious uh, cost is, is involved. Um, that That's my immediate response to the grindstone. Like, how do you feel about um, the grindstone being able to be something you can control with regards to enchantment removal? It feels like the kind of thing players have asked for for a while is, you know, can you take enchantments off of items, maybe apply them to books you know instead like you the people want to keep those enchantments around and again yeah have more control over it i like the notion of it being a separate grindstone that maybe you know is is an upgrade in the same way that the blast furnace or the smoker feels like an upgrade to the furnace in terms of functionality um a downgrade in others i still want to be able to smelt glass faster but <laughs> i i do think the the notion of it being a separate from the villager workstation is important because then suddenly it becomes really expensive to get a bunch of weaponsmiths uh, who are the villager that uses the grindstone as a workstation. So I think a separate thing makes more sense. And yeah, like removing enchantments feels more balanced than transferring enchantments. And I like the notion of having it be a player choice. I think the question becomes, what does the user interface for that look like? You know, does it become like the enchantment table? And like the enchantment table, does it have some risk involved? Like if you select one enchantment to come off, does it also occasionally take off one enchantment almost as a mirror image of the uh, enchantment table, sometimes giving you more enchantments than you expected it to give? Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think this, this is an interesting one, but I think all of this feels like it could be solved at the source rather than adding the additional step of it being a grindstone. Like, rather than giving us more control by adjusting things afterwards, give us more control over the enchantment table in the first place, and it feels like there are fewer steps in getting where you want to get. That's kind of where my brain went, because if the enchanting system is going to stay basically as it is, uh, making that assumption, then I'd like to be able to add things like potions or enchanted books to chiseled bookshelves 
and put them around an enchanting table to influence the enchantment results. Again, control at a cost. They're harder to make. They take up, you know, more resources. You'd have to you'd have to make the potions. You'd have to already have the enchanted book. But enchanting as it stands now would be like your basic introductory level. It would also be a pain in the butt and not really give you the results that you want. And therefore having more control later in the game when you have more resources to apply to chiseled bookshelves, it would feel more of a reward because you understand how it used to work and you didn't like it and now you have control and you can make it work the way that you want. Uh, I think that would be a fun way to kind of utilize blocks that have been added to the game and make for some interesting builds too, right? Because you could then get yeah. creative. Like if if they'd make one adjustment, I would say change the distance at which the bookshelves have to be from the enchantment table because then you could have a very creative, cool-looking apothecary type build that would also function in the game and give you the enchantments that you want. And all you'd have to do to, to get different enchantments is like a real wizard, like swap out the bottles that are around the yeah. enchantment table and put different books there and light, and light all some that. different and I, candles and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think that would be great. Yeah. That, that, that has a certain appeal to me as well. Like I like the idea of it. You could make a very atmospheric kind of witch hut build with sheafs of herbs hanging from the ceiling and that kind of stuff. And, and it would feel a lot more like you were doing magic and a little bit less, I don't know, uh, maybe because we're just experienced with the system at this point but it feels a little bit less magical when the enchantment table is giving you just unbreaking three for the 50th time right yeah um absolutely one other thing before we get to this last email one other thing i wanted to mention related to the previous one more than this one actually and the the subject of tools becoming used up when i first joined the decidedly vanilla server back in 2015 there was a graveyard at the spawn town which was really just for disposing of your old tools once your tools got to like one durability and they had got to a repair cost that was too high for you to be able to repair them either by combining them or uh, just adding diamonds to it people used to effectively lay their old pickaxes to rest in double chests that were made up to look like coffins and stuff like that mm -hmm. and that while obviously pre-mending this was still in version 1.8 um it, and and while a little macabre i guess was also kind of a, a sweet tradition of sorts and i feel like sometimes the absence of enchantments like mending that allow these things to exist in perpetuity creates these sort of sentimental traditions and little stories like that that can be worth having in a minecraft world like the artistic value of them i feel like is not necessarily going to counterbalance the technical value and the uh, the sort of quality of life that having mending applies, but it does feel like kind of a shame to lose traditions like that in everybody using mending. So I think that's that's an interesting thing to consider if you are maybe considering using mending less as these upcoming trading changes take effect. Our last email this week comes in from McScrewgun, a landscape artist member of our community. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, Joel and Picks. I would like to speak to one of the two points sparked by episode 258. There was a good deal of talk about community in that episode. It was all in service of how great the community is in regards to helping each other learn, pass on knowledge, and advance the game and playing as a whole. I would state that it is more than just that, more than just people getting together and playing the same game. I would stand atop a mountain and proclaim it is more than the just that. 
You see, my wife and I purchased Minecraft for our son, McScrewson, as a reward for buckling down and pushing through the difficulties of school and society shutting down as it did in COVID-19. Then I started playing, and as you can guess, I have whose videos I watched to learn how to play. Then that led me to this guy with a quote-unquote small medieval town he is still building uh, and his Patreon server. Joel, please insert an ad for yourself here. You are too humble to do that yourself. <laughs> so Infinity Cove is my patron surfer for people that don't know. Uh, and then McScrewgun continues, I learned that I had cancer. So there I am getting chemo during COVID. And that is a recipe for not going outside and being in contact with anyone. My family, my D&D group, which played virtually, and the online community surrounding the spawn chunks, the Citadel and Infinity Cove quite literally kept me going. I have made very dear friends who I cherish with my time and look forward to playing with every time you know who you are and I know you're listening to this. The Minecraft community is so much more than just sharing how to play and how to manipulate the game. It's a wonderful cross-continental and cross-generational gathering. I play with people as far apart as England and Australia and at the same time as young as my children and older than I am because we all know no one is as old as Elkhorn. McScrewgun did not die. Minecraft and his new friends kept him going. Well, that's incredibly sweet. I'm sort of speechless after that. Uh, thank you so much, McScrewgun, for, for sharing your story. And yeah, like this is how I feel about Minecraft, although obviously without the uh, sort of great emphasis on sort of personal health and that kind of thing, I have spent the last nearly decade of my life in this community at this point and i'm genuinely not sure what i would do without it it's been a social platform for me it's been a career for me at this point and i think it's it's always going to be greater than the sum of its parts this game it's it's very very strange how the community has grown up around it into something that feels like it shouldn't exist around a game that looks this basic <laughs> and i think that's that's the thing about minecraft is it, it kind of comes in and surprises you so uh yeah like i really want to thank mcscrewgun for for writing in with this it's such a uh such a vulnerable place to come from to discuss minecraft but it sounds like it's only made you stronger which is a very good thing to hear i mean i will echo all of that and say that i had the pleasure of hearing this from mcscrewgun in person last year when i met both him and mcscrewson where was able to sit down and have a pint and a meal uh not not with mcscrewson mcscrewson was was drinking coke i think um <laughs> but it blew me away when when mcscrewson pulled myself and steven esc aside and said basically the the same thing and uh for anybody that's a content creator out there in the minecraft community Every now and again, you can have some self-doubt. You can have some imposter syndrome. And then you get messages like this. And you're like, you know what? You know, I need to, to, to lighten up and remind myself that there are a whole plethora of benefits to participating and putting the kind of energy that we do into the Minecraft community and the communities that surround our streams and our servers and, and whatnot. Uh, because you just you never know you never know how it's going to affect somebody and um, I had the opportunity to chat with Tadpole Milk on the Citadel Cafe the this past week and we were talking about just that like the energy that you put into the game whether you're creating content for it or not is generally the energy that you're going to get back out of it and I think that McScrewgun is a really good example of just that kind of positivity and the difference that 
you know, a video game community can make in the world today when things like cancer and COVID, you know, rear their ugly head. Um, community is where it's at, you know, and it, it, it can be your neighbor in real life. It could be your neighbor in Australia because you happen to live next door to one another in Minecraft, you know, and I think that's freaking fantastic. This obviously didn't land on our anniversary episode, but it feels like such a nice button on five years of doing this show at this point that, yeah, really, really happy we're able to uh, to include that. Um, that is where we're going to wrap up this episode of the Spawn Chunks. Why not end it on a on a positive and uplifting note? Uh, you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat and has loads of other benefits, including listening to the live show recording Recording when we record in the Discord every Monday. Uh, we have our monthly Minecraft audio hangouts now where people can share what they've been up to in Minecraft this week. Our quarterly hangout, as we mentioned at the top of the show, is going to be postponed until the next quarter when we will have all the behind-the-scenes facts and figures for you. We are currently a community of 322 patrons, which is up an additional five from last week. So thank you so much to everybody who has jumped on board since. And special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Mind Trip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen to The Spawn Chunks on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating or a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com, and the RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com. The patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs, and as long as no further disasters happen, you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season and the Netherite era. I stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on social media. Twitter and Instagram is usually where I'm at. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online these days is linked at joelduggan.com, including the Citadel Cafe, which just came out last week with a new episode, again, with Tadpole Milk. We talked about The Witcher Season 3. No spoilers, we were only just starting it. I'm Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday, Lego on Fridays, and Minecraft the rest of the time. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite until you cut it with a hedge trimmer. <laughs>